Hello, Whatnots. As people who have listened to the first half of this episode already know, uh, recording Baxter Building episode 44 got somewhat out of hand. We were being very ambitious. We were trying to do 11 issues in an episode. And that, I mean, we got them done. Don't, don't get me wrong. But it also took over three hours to do that. So we split it into two episodes. This is the second of those episodes. We're going to be covering issues 376 through 381 of Fantastic Four, the uh, first volume of Marvel's First Family, which, hey, has just made a comeback this past week. Hooray! Everyone get very excited, and then immediately drop that excitement because these comics are not particularly good. Anyway, we will join you after the opening theme, picking up with 376, which Jeffrey Lester, my esteemed wonderful co-host, will recap for you all. Uh, I'm going to try and take the the weight off you, Graham, and try um, talking about issue 376. Let me recap. 376 to a future darkly yep because i don't know he was like tom defalco was like was thinking about philip k dick <laughs> who knows well uh you know what honestly because i think there was the he's he's aware that you know it the book literally opens with a scene from days of future past uh told from the perspective of you know, um, the the two pages that involved Franklin and the death of Franklin in uh, the the seminal classic Uncanny X-Men 142 by Claremont <laughs> and Byrne. You... I do believe that when you talk about X-Men 142, uh, you have to call it the seminal classic. Oh, it's, there was that law. I don't remember when it was passed. But yeah, you cannot say Uncanny X-Men 142 without saying seminal classic within 10 words on either side of it. So yeah, or else there's like a fine... Anyway, so yeah, it opens up with that scene. Here's where sh- where DeFalco drops the bomb on you. The whole Days of Future Past thing, you know, DeFalco is like, yeah, but you know where they got all that tech to fuck everyone up? Well, of course, that was Reed Richards' tech and Nathaniel Richards explaining that to everyone, and they're like, what? That's impossible. That is absolutely impossible. Reed's like, I control all of my patents and would never allow them to be mis- to be misused. And Sue's well, like, well, that proves that we needn't worry about this, you know, kind well, of conveniently forgetting. But also, forgetting. no one says, but the Sentinels already exist and Reed didn't invent them. Well, no, but because they're kind of uh, blah, blah, blah. There's, there, there's a whole thing where it's like the reason why they've gotten worse, they became such efficient no, machines. no, I, I understand. Yeah. But it's just funny to me that Nathaniel Richards, first of all, says that he accidentally stumbled across. So the issue starts with two pages of this, of uh, Uncanny X-Men. Yeah. And then it cuts to Nathaniel Richards going, I'm telling you a story that I accidentally stumbled upon it yep. while traveling across the time stream. Yep. Which is hilarious. But then none of the characters say, but we know the Sentinels. Mm-hmm. They exist. They've been around for years. They're all just like, can't be Reed. Reed <laughs> wouldn't do that. Moving on. Well, because it's very clear, they, like 
every other comic book reader at this point have all read the seminal classic Uncanny X-Men 142, Days of Future Past. And so therefore, of course they're not surprised. I mean, they're all but kind of saying like, Johnny's like, oh, I don't want to die that way. And Ben's like, oh, well, you know, you got to die some ways. You got to might, might as well die off panel. Because, of course, that's the thing. The only person who actually dies in that flashback is Franklin. And, of course, like a bunch of assholes, they're all like, oh, they're not worried about Franklin at all. They're like, oh, you mean I'm going to die? Wow. I mean, I'm already dead before this flashback starts? Like, that's really depressing. You mean... <laughs> The world That's goes crazy. on after it's I existed. Kind of, it's you know. kind of hilarious. And they're like, yeah, I found this time period. It's terrible. Like, Franklin dies. And they're like, where were we? Oh, you could killed like two years before. <laughs> exactly. Like, like you're, you've, you've been dead for a while. I, like, I, the, I have the to entire, say. The entire reason I'm telling you this story is because I want to tell you the part that readers read like 10 years ago in that X-Men comic they liked. I've heard it's a seminal classic. Yes. It's good enough to do with the rest of you. <laughs> Well, I mean, to be fair, it it would be the most on-point characterization of a grandparent ever to be like, oh, I came back in <laughs> the time. Son died. <laughs> Who cares about my son? Who cares about the rest of you? My grandson dies. We have to prevent this time stream from happening no matter what. And they're like, wait, we've been dead? He's like, yeah, for years, but you don't understand. Like, yes. That is a grandfather. I have to tell you, he's totally like the rest of them don't get it. You get it, Agatha. You're his grandmother. She's like, I'm not even related to him. He's like, yeah, but you're old. You know what I mean? <laughs> She's like, I do. What What is great is that so he tells this story and then you cut to lots of people like arguing about it. Sharon's like, oh, Ben's wearing the mask because he's upset. And then he cuts Elijah being like, I am a scroll warrior. We should all die in combat. But this kind of bummed and then it cuts to Agatha being like hmm I'm a witch and I can tell that Daniel's telling the truth and he has a thought this is essentially him being like she knows I'm lying what's going on I know wait I've got some more flim flam yeah 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 yep yeah, yeah, it, yeah sorry you were, you were totally recapping like, like let's continue oh that's you. fine yeah so recapping so just as everyone's like well that's ridiculous Reed has his patents is like oh my well guess what Matt Murdock and Ms. Yakaki have arrived and they're like, oh, well, you know, it's kind of great because, again, in that whole world of like, okay, so there's a whole future timeline where we all die. Oh, our lawyers are here. Like, it's really, it's like, come on, guys. It, I mean, it, it's, what is, you know, what is shitty Chekhov's gun? Yeah. Because he's literally like, well, as long as no one gives a rare patents, what's that you say? You've given a rare patents? Yeah, exactly. Like three pages later. And they're like, well, we're really glad. So basically they have found out that, um, you know, uh, there, there's, they mentioned the final, the financial package, but the other penny doesn't drop, at least initially. But it's more like we've got to get um, Johnny to, like, uh, arrange for his surrender. And uh, you guys can accompany him if so. And, of course, Ben, who's like, you know, yeah, yeah, uh, no, no sense making a big production out of it. I'll go. And Johnny's like, oh, that's great. And then Lysha's like, if there's no objection, I would also like to join you. And Johnny's like, huh? What? And who can blame he him? Because... He says, you would? Yes, exactly. Exactly. What? Oh, which it should be pointed out that at this point, we're, uh, what, 376? We have already left Johnny being self-pitying. 
he's yeah. stopped being self-pitting because Ben has taken on the self-pitting. That, that's right. It just there, drops immediately. Enough, there is only enough self-pity to go around. Mm-hmm. And as soon as Ben got slashed by Wolverine's claws, Johnny stopped being self-pitying immediately. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, honestly, there's a, there's a weird where, apart from him being having a couple of thought balloons that are just exposition recap, you're really out of Johnny's head pretty heavily. He just goes from being once again like it's like sorry Johnny there's not enough uh, room for actually everyone to have internal drama the closest internal drama you're going to have is how your uh, scroll ex-wife feels about you and you're only going to react to whatever she does or says so have fun with that you know yes so in, enjoy being the wah guy so here he is breaking out his first of wah so cut to Ben getting ready to take Johnny downtown. Sharon Ventura shows up and is like, hey, you seem like you're kind of upset. You, I care about you and you've completely shut me out of your life. And he's like, oh, yeah, gee, I can't imagine why. And she's like, what? You think it's just because about Doom and that I was like spying on the Fantastic Four? And like, no, no, it was totally just because I was like making surreptitious phone calls to him whenever your guy's back was turned. Like spy. No, that's a heavy word. Spy. I'm just doing it because he did me a solid and i think he could do you a solid and ben's like sure dr doom he's not going to do a solid and anyone who works with him is scum cut to a panel of her being like huh that seems harsh i wonder i wonder what she what what does he mean i I do love that he he basically is like you know yep anyone who works with dr doom is is shit and the next panel is her sort of going huh yeah no thought balloon no dialogue (laughs) just being like huh yeah yeah yeah, exactly. The reader, the reader is left to imagine her going, huh, am I shit? Yeah, hmm. exactly. Let, let, me, let me think about that. Hmm. Maybe I'm shit. I guess I hadn't really given it much thought before. Here I am siding with it, you know, like, you know, sure, he's a tyrant of a foreign nation, you know, that I myself has fought as a member of the team. But, you know, once he did something for me, I just assumed that meant that he was a good guy. Are you saying he's not? It's- yeah, it's kind of nuts. I must it? wrestle with that. It's yeah. genuinely surprising yeah. that Sharon, who, again, under the uh, Engelhardt and Simonson runs, was the smart member of that mm-hmm. version of the Fantastic mm-hmm. Four, has apparently never considered that maybe the villain of the, <laughs> like, the arch nemesis of the Fantastic Four is not a good guy. <laughs> apparently, that's a brand new concept to her. Yep. Yep. So interesting. Even compared... though she's fought against Dr. No, Doom. No, I know. I mean, it is totally the whole thing is the way that Sharon is handled. I mean, there you could argue that once you went from uh, Engelhart to Simonson, the treatment, the way Sharon was characterized was such a bad fracture that it was practically like a break in continuity, you know, but. And and DeFalco just goes on to to double down on it. It's almost it's a weird game of chicken. I'm convinced. Like DeFalco is totally like, okay, we keep talking about Sharon Ventura and everything. We all know nobody read those issues, so we can all pretend that what happened in them was something that either was different from the way you, that we presented it, 
or you know if applicable it, it did not happen at all so therefore she totally has to be confused about dr doom in order for this to work so be it meanwhile on the next page we get a little taste of dr doom being dr doomy where he basically destroys a minion just because a minion actually refers to the idea that he was defeated by the FF, and he's like, huh. I, I, but I also love the past progressive way he destroys the minion. Pull yes. the lever, will you? Yeah, exactly. If you do me the honor of activating this mechanism by pulling that lever. Yeah. You know, I have to say, like, it is kind of a shame they never got Kelsey Grammer to voice Doom, because he's totally got that kind of, like... Still time. Yeah. Still time. Could happen. Could happen. So, weirdly enough, compare contrast, you cut from... Dr. Doom in close-up to read in a close-up being like, what were you thinking, Yukaki? We can't afford a settlement of this magnitude. Not only have you promised the university that we build a new athletic center, as well as a new science library, but you've even given them my scientific patents. And she's like, Miss Ri Mr. Richards is your chief financial officer. I am fully aware of the severe economic strain this will place on Fantastic Four Incorporated. Apparently you ha you're not. No, no, because she's like, but trust me, $100 million lawsuit would be even worse. No, because you can win those. Like, there's a <laughs> chance. you can. Then you can settle. Just the whole idea that she walked out with that. So it is kind of great sue of course sides with the attorney because everything that reed does is wrong he's like this is no time for another argument she's like name a better one meanwhile franklin begins turning into frangry and uh while he does nathaniel and agatha are like well we're gonna have to work together to make this happen even though they'll hate us for it like really dramatically they're just like yep okay we're... do you want to kill him yeah let's kill him you want to kill him yeah let's kill him yep yeah Yep, I've helped to raise this child from infancy, and I love him as dearly as my own. I pray that I have the strength to do what must be done. Well, basically, considering you more or less did the same thing to your own son, Agatha, I mean, let's face it, that's not going to be too hard for yeah, you, right? Yeah, but, but he was a dick. He was a dick, whereas Franklin is just frangry, and, you know. Franklin's like a dick in training. <laughs> well, that's it. They're really worried. They're like, oh, if we're not careful, he's going to end up becoming a 90s douche. How can we do this? How can we break him of this habit? I know. It's the most desperate play ever. Meanwhile... Johnny's getting fingerprinted, he's getting his snapshot taken, he's getting all these photos, and and Ben is kind of like, this sucks, I'm pissed, I this isn't right to treat him like this. And Matt Murdock, interestingly enough, says, you have to have faith in the system, justice is slow, but eventually it triumphs. And, uh, you know, you're like, okay, page of that, then we're, I think it's we're moving from rather than two-page subplots, it's now one-page subplots, and they're alternating, which at least helps it feel like things are moving quickly. So you get Reed and Nathaniel talking. Reed's got his back turned, and bang! Shot in the back by Nathable. Is that is that what we should call him, maybe? Sure, let, let's call him Nathable. Well, to be fair, the real Cable analog is about to appear. The, the, Nathaniel oh, just looks like Cable. Right. Yeah, that's true. That is That is true. Well, anyway, so... He's like, yes, the time has come, Agatha Harkness. What time is that, old man? Yeah, it's Sue getting old sassy and stuff, being all like, I have father, father in law or not. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Father in law or not, I sense that you couldn't be trusted. Mm -hmm. the, what, one of the wonderful, and we'll get to this really in the next couple of issues, but one of the wonderful things about the Sue, besides the fact that like she is quite clearly not Sue Richards and why is no one, you know, getting a psychic involved to find out what the fuck is going on, uh, is that this Sue 
literally trusts no one. Mm-hmm. Like, you get the feeling that anyone will come up and be like, Sue, like, you know, do you want a sandwich? And she'll be like, why would I eat a sandwich from you? Yeah, totally, totally. Just total heredity. Making me sandwiches. Now, the thing that I think is interesting, Graham, and I do have to say is like, on the what's fascinating is is that the reader in, in, in several situations knows what nobody else in the comic doesn't, which is is that Sue has confronted Malice during the Infinity War crossovers and has accepted her as not an external manifestation, but essentially an internal manifestation of her repression, of all of the negative stuff that she just put in, put aside so that she could be happy Sue Storm. And we have a similar moment where Agatha and uh, Nathable end up trying to have like a showdown, like they're trying to subdue Sue, which ends up turning Franklin Frangry, so he's ending up fighting Nathable while Agatha is basically like, okay, I hate to break out the big guns, but I am now going to cast a spell that shows you that, you know, you, you have been conquered by like malice. She's returned and controls you. Did I blow your mind? And of course, Sue's like, what? No, of course not. I already know. I've already known. She was already an integral part of me, which again, is this thing that is supposed to be like, I don't know. Like, I have this thing where it's like, I you have out of character Sue and you don't buy it, but it's very important that DeFalco continues to put this in, under the context of Sue is not being manipulated. This is this is her doing this of her own free will. Um, let's see. What else is going on? Uh, a potentially interesting scene that both gets cut off before it goes anywhere and ends up coming to nothing is is that Ben makes it a point to bring Lysha to meet Alicia and says, like, she's the scroll who impersonated you, which is kind of like, I'm not exactly sure why either character would want that. I mean, exactly. That just sounds awkward for everyone. Yeah. And like many things, like, the, for example, the page of, of Johnny getting fingerprinted goes nowhere. Yeah. Totally, totally much of a nowhere scene. Meanwhile, uh, so yes, back to the fight with Sue and Franklin versus uh, the grandparents. Then Sharon jumps in and starts punching people up and throwing the table around. Then Mr. Uh, Fantastic recovers from being um, uh, zappified. So it's everyone fighting everyone, but it's too late because Nathable ends up managing at literally one point in, in like what is the saddest failure of imagination rather like Paul Ryan goes definitely definitively anti Kirby tech and has Nathaniel shoot like an honest to God fucking top at Mr. Fantastic to keep him destroyed for long enough that he can escape into the time stream with him. And then literally less than a page later of having everyone freak out two pages Nathaniel seems to come back. The, the his special, weirdly elk-like uh, power armor comes back. Everyone's like, "How dare you show your face again? What have you done with our son? Where's Franklin?" And as the suit takes off its helmet, it's like, "Your worries are over. I'm right here, Dad. Hi, everybody. I hope you missed me. I certainly missed all of you." And suddenly we have, oh shit. Franklin is now, I guess, a teenager. Who knows? With tech on his face. What? He's years older. What has happened? Our minds are blown if we've never read an X-Men comic. Amazing. It's true. Like, it, it, it's certainly... Also, I could be wrong, but isn't Cable's name Nathan? 
Oh, I don't know. I mean, yes. I, I ultimately he is he's Nathan Summers, right? So right. I guess they're being yeah. Good call. Oh my, yeah. So, so Nathaniel Richards, yeah, reenacts the cable origin. Yeah, you know who knows? Maybe Defalco's like, eh, you know what? Uh, let's let's. How about I blow let's your lean mind? Into it. Yeah, let's lean into it like heavily. So uh, issue three seventy seven. If this be war. Uh, if only it was war, yeah. war would be bad. Yes. <laughs> Good God. Uh, so anyway, yes, it has it has Franklin because I had stopped reading FF uh, X Men uh, long before this point. I'm not paying much attention to Cable. So to me, basically, Franklin Richards is kind of like if you had uh, the Schwarzenegger Terminator from Terminator Two grab young John Connor and essentially drag him into the time stream to train him to be the ultimate warrior in the in the pillars of the future. And then he manages to come back. And it's great. He's it's hilarious. The opening page is narrated by Franklin. I grew up as an outcast, a renegade who spent his formative years bouncing from one war torn alternate timeline to the next. Instead of action figures and bicycles, my toys were a psionic sword and plasma rifle. And right off there, I think there's no one caption that shows how much DeFalco completely misses the appeal of the image generation marvel comics and just cannot help but patronizing it in the most extreme instead of action figures and bicycles my toys were a psionic sword and plasma rifle my only companions were grandpa nathan and my memories memories of family i'd left behind memories of you so uh yeah sue being sue is like yeah i don't believe it and reads like Susan, please, we owe it to this young man to hear his full story with open minds. And he's like, but dad, I'm your son. And he's like, yeah, sure. <laughs> Reed, who's kind of like the scientific mind. Look, you disappeared into time. Then you came back seconds later. And yet you're older. It's impossible that you could be my son. That's not how time works. Is Reed like, <laughs> really, Reed? Really? You just... You don't get that one, huh? Because that's... I understand that's who you claim to be, but there are so many unanswered questions. If only you had any any machine. Yeah. Any machine that you could check, like his DNA, or you know, anything, anything for that matter. Like his brain scan. Didn't you have a brain scanner, like, just yeah. a few inches ago? We literally had exactly with and before that we had a fucking machine where like Reed looks at like images of light that have left the room, you know, to be which doesn't even make sense. Like there's so much hand waving in Reed science, but he's like, well, I have no way to figure out how we could like. Uh, this is he's like this is too hard. Yeah, I can't figure this out. I mean, so she, she, yep. I, I honestly just had an image of Reed being like, oh jeez, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it would be great, like, huh? Just like walking away. Yeah, oh, man. Just, like, just, 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 I don't know. Mystery Shoot forever. forever. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. What's what happened? Meanwhile, Sue is is utterly evil and actually attacks Franklin. Yeah. Does doesn't just go like I don't believe you. Actually attacks him with her invisible daggers. You may remember what nuts 
just like 20 minutes ago, Jeff and I were talking about how Sue's powers do not work anymore after 375. They've not actually remembered that for two issues yet. Exactly. Because they're still doing the thing. Well, I can almost see the idea that basically if you get rid of the force field as a defensive weapon, but all she's left with is the aggressive stuff. Eh. So meanwhile, all sorts of craziness going on. Basically a page of just people yelling at each other. Franklin being like, huh. Man, I can't believe it. I've come back, and yep, mom and dad are still the same, still fighting, which is kind of sort of sad. And meanwhile, Reed tries to reconcile with Susan, Sue, and of course Sue's like, fuck you, man. Don't say anything, Reed. Not one word. And as Sharon whispers over to, to Ben, this is terrible. Reed and Sue are falling apart before our very eyes. Shouldn't we do something? Ain't nothing we can do, says Ben. And he's like, the whole FF's falling apart. Johnny's in jail, bill collectors howling at the door, and Susie's growing more and more out of control. I'm afraid to ask what else could go wrong. Well, what's happening on the next page? <sighs> There's Ulysses Claw reading a newspaper. Yag yeah, doesn't get more evil than Ulysses Claw, like being like, boy, let me tell you, the human torch, <laughs> he's in jail. Be really interesting to see him see him dead. And then suddenly, um, what looks like I swear to God, the one thing that throws me off is Huntera, warrior princess of Elswen, pops up out of a blue, a, a, a giant green gem-like thing in search of the four, the four who must be destroyed. I am deeply confused because I have to say, Huntera looks so much like Angela, uh, the Todd <laughs> McFarlane creation, and yet... I think was created before, which is weirdly not really the way that a lot of Paul Ryan's other designs seem to work. So kind of strange. Angela first appeared in March 1993. Oh, then maybe this is because this is this is also 1993 and only yeah, by I'm, I'm seeing what issue she appears in because this is what three six. Three, this seven, is seven. this is three seven seven, which is June is is cover dated which means that it's actually what three months earlier right yeah so that also march. puts it around march yeah yeah crazy ass shit okay so same time you basically get huntera showing up looking a lot like angela slicing things apart with her like super axe and and claw being claws like you know what i i think that this is the beginning of a beautiful partnership follow me i'll lead you to the four that you seek and she's like sure why not clearly i can trust a guy who you know has like no nose whatsoever to speak of meanwhile back in the four freedoms plaza we get um Frable walking around being like, oh, Nathan warned me against this time jump. He desperately wanted to send someone else. He knew how difficult it'd be for me to see them alive, knowing what's destined to happen. But they're my family, my responsibility. Yes, some scary foreshadowing. What's up with Frable's actually here to help his family against some bad times to come? You see Sue uh, doing what she's doing, which is what she does, how she rolls these days, which is being bitchy in her Victoria's Secret outfit to Agatha Harkness and saying, get out, you old witch. I never wanted to see you again. So, uh, and it's interesting. Agatha is very much totally like, mm -hmm, I'm truly sorry you denied the pleasure of raising your childhood, but it's like raising your child to adulthood, Susan. But do you hate me because I tried to save the world or because in the course of doing so, I peered into the depths of your very soul and beheld the malice within? 
So around the time Sue's like, get out of here. How dare you impugn me and my fact that I'm dressing like a really terrible stripper out. And meanwhile, Franklin overhearing this is like, oh, mom, I know what's in store for you. And I desperately wish I could spare you the horrible pain which is to come. But I can't allow anything to interfere with my true mission, not even my feelings for you, which, okay, like. Tom, you could have really rephrased that last one. That's a little ooky, that last little panel, no, right? But also, Franklin is Cable now. Yeah. Like, they've just lived the thing. Yeah. But he's also, you know, Cable in multiple ways. He has a true mission that we don't know what it is. Right. He's, he is mysterious now. Because mm-hmm. previous, previous Franklin was not mysterious enough. He was just Charlie X. Right. But now he's Cable. Yep. And so he, he, you know, who knows what he's up to? Yep. Also, I, I'm honestly not sure if I'm forgetting or not, but it's very possible that we never find out what Franklin's true mission is. I, that would not surprise me at all, because it, it, everything about that is simply like, oh, foreshadowing of terrible times to come is what sells comics, huh? Okay, we can do that. Meanwhile, you get Johnny in prison. And you know what? Surprisingly, a guy who can like turn himself into flame whenever he wants is not going to get troubled by the prisoners very much. Meanwhile, he spends a lot of time in there like thinking, thinking, thinking. But is he thinking about, oh, I don't know, his scroll wife or the falling apart team or even indulging in self-pity? No, we are once again internal exposition Johnny who's like well it's about time Murdoch showed my trial is coming up so yeah he's like I'm in constant danger behind these bars can't relax for an instant immediately after two panels showing that yes he is in no danger and yes he can relax so kind of great meanwhile from space Paybach and Devos who are kind of fixated weirdly on Johnny Storm despite supposedly it being the rest of the FF for reasons known perhaps only to plot co-plotter Paul Ryan, they're completely fixated on him, as has been going on for a long time. Both Pybach and uh, Payback, sorry, and Devos, in true um, Frightful Four style, talk uh, politely to each other's face, and meanwhile are like, impudent cur, I look forward to wiping you off the face of the earth. Now, Devos... Uh, is basically like, hmm, time for me to get my origin in since Franklin got his in. And it's hilarious because Devos... It's the same origin. It's It's just on a different fucking planet. In fact, one of the things that I actually half think that might be going on here would be awesome is, is that if Devos is himself also Franklin Richards and doesn't know it because he is portrayed as a blonde kid whose face is never shown. Like, it's very important that you hit his face. Fun. Yeah. Because I, I actually took it as he, and again, this is me assuming that um, their work, Zafalco and Ryan are not in sync. Yeah. But I honestly had assumed that Devos was on the opposite side of the fight from Franklin. Uh, right. Which, which, again, sort of makes sense because he starts off as. Like this kid who's like hiding among the ruins as raiders like destroyed his world. And then the soldiers came and claimed him and trained him and turned him to a super efficient killing machine. But I do actually think that that Devos thinks that he's from our universe, but is actually 
has slipped through time from a parallel universe and is himself also Franklin Richards. But again, I think that this is something that gets dropped, particularly by DeFalco, who is more interested talking about Simca, beautiful and proficient Simca. It was her dream to create the ultimate soldier. I love beautiful and proficient Simca. Like, I just, there's times where, like, DeFalco, I'm like, it's no wonder he doesn't get what, like, 90s Marvel is. He doesn't really even get how adjectives work. You know what I mean? Like, he's just, like, (laughs) beautiful and proficient. Like, you just see, like, the fucking, like, Tom DeFalco was like the Mad Libs wizard is all that I have to say. Anyway, Simka succeeded far beyond her wildest fantasies. She created the consummate weapon of devastation. But to her horror, she would later learn that it was a weapon dedicated toward galactic peace, a somewhat deranged notion of peace, a peace which could only be achieved by the destruction of every race capable of waging war. And uh, so Devos is kind of, yeah, I mean, again, there's some weirdo stuff of thanks to his little armor and outfit, like there's one panel there where you see him with his little thing sticking out. And it's very much Paul Ryan being kind of like, yeah, I've created the Predator, who is also the Terminator. (laughs) Like, honestly, I deserve some kind of award. And let's face it, if he was working for Dark Horse, he would still be getting work to this very fucking day because that's all an entire publishing arm of Dark Horse really wants, right? So... (laughs) Meanwhile, while he's sitting there, like, figuring out how to deliver payback to payback and or Pybok and take out the entire uh, warmongering Earth, we get to cut back on uh, Lysia, who, in the same sort of confusion, I sometimes wonder if she's supposed to, if it's supposed to be pronounced Lysia or Lysia, right? Because I always say Lysia, uh, who, you know, because it's spells. But I realize if it's like Lysia, it's more like Alicia. Right. So, again, in that weird way of like, is she supposed to be a, a slight play on Alicia with that name? Well, she I mean, she was a play yeah. on Alicia. Yeah. So sure. Right. But of course, anyway, who knows how it's pronounced? The main thing is she's got something going on with her stomach. Johnny has begged for news of our baby, she thinks, while clutching her stomach and doubled over. But I cannot. I dare not tell him the truth. Franklin, who, of course, knows, is like, Leisure, you're right. I thought I heard a scream. She's like, oh, I'm fine. Just expressing a little frustration while dressing for Johnny's trial. La, 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 la. Matt Murdock said that he intended to call me as a witness for the defense, said Dom DeFalco, talking out of his ass while typing lines of dialogue for Elijah. (laughs) And I wanted to look my very best. Franklin says, she's lying. I can practically taste her fear, her physical agony. And also, Tom DeFalco's writing her. Who the (laughs) fuck would be dumb enough to, like, call a scroll saboteur to the stand as, like, a witness, a character witness for like the defense meanwhile it's, no it's so no imagine that trial yeah i know right like seriously <laughs> i just love the idea that like he and this woman are like the two worst lawyers in the entire fucking world but on totally different things she's like okay first let me negotiate we give you everything and then matt's like okay now to get him off the criminal side of things i call scroll spy as the witness for the defense and everyone's like how the who's paying these people like these guys still getting work holy shit um there's a tender moment between reed and sue which is just kind of like uh basically uh reed being like i just don't understand why why are we oh this was actually great he's like 
Susan, about the way we've been snapping at each other lately, she's like, don't you dare apologize to me, mister. I realize that I've been acting like a total witch, which is great. The fact that Sue's even a dick while apologizing is, is like, mm, on brand. But she's also kind of like, you know what? I'm just trying to catch up all at once. The Fantastic Four has been pretty stacked for the past few years while the world has changed and grown considerably darker around us. The whole idea that she's trying to catch up is like, we're trying to, she's like keeping up with the post-apocalyptic Joneses. And I'm like, that's not really like what people look at the future. Like they're like, hey, the world's gotten so much darker. Like who, who actually is like, I'm not doing a very good job keeping up. Like only in comic books. Does that become like a fear? Like anyway, but basically Sue's like, don't worry. I'm willing to have hate sex with you. And Reed's like, okay, well, that's fine. So cut to uh, <laughs> Sharon Ventura and the thing walking on the street. She's like, oh, here I am. I'm going to say the same things that I've been saying the last four episodes. You don't trust me. You still think I'm in league with doom. You, I thought you understood. I was only trying to, I think he, he cured me and he can help cure you. And she's like, he's like, yeah, I don't trust him and I'm not going to trust you. So ha ha ha. Uh, meanwhile, I'm going to grab a taxi for all of us. Uh, meanwhile, which he does by literally grabbing a taxi. Yes. He lifts the taxi in the air. Yes. Yeah. Which again is one of those things where it would be classic Ben, but is done like God knows you really have to give Paul Ryan like credit for like not aping Kirby at any point. Like <laughs> that whole thing is totally. His, his, his staging is terrible. Yeah, like we, is, there's so many ways that we could give. Paul Ryan shit. Yeah. But let's just sum it up this way. Mm -hmm. If there's a choice to be made, Paul Ryan will almost certainly take the most boring option available to oh, him. Whenever possible. Whenever in possible. Mm -hmm. In staging. Yeah. It, whenever. Yeah. In pacing, yeah. Paul Ryan goes, he looks at a page and thinks, how can I make this dull? His okay. dedication is kind of amazing. It really is. Like, so check it out. We get to a page, like, we have pages where, um, you know, you've got Franklin running around with his psionic sword. You've got pages where, like, Devos, the Devastator, is ripping off the rest of the Terminator origin. You have you have pages of hate sex. It's all jammed into like eight pages, eight panel, nine panel grids. You cut to Doctor Doom. It's three panels of glorious high drama where nothing happens. It literally is. Well, but not not just that. There are three panels in this page. Mm -hmm. Here's what has happened in th these three panels, listeners. Yep. One of them is Doctor Doom standing, holding onto a railing. Yep. Second one is Doctor Doom raising his fist. Yep. The third one is a force beam leaving the castle. Yep. Which panel do you think is the smallest on the page? <laughs> You're right. You're absolutely right. Yes, is that's such a good point, Graham. Yeah, sorry, I completely overlooked this. It's true. He totally lines it up in almost all but the reverse order of the way that you would want things to have traditional impact. So not good. Meanwhile, of course, people who've been following the FF and the and the multitude of subplots, there's been one question that has been bothering them for, I think, something like two or three issues now, which is, when is Silver Sable going to get paid by Jane Jonah Jameson to like for trying to catch the Human Torch? Well, thank God, 
you can finally sleep. The people who were unable to rest between FF374 and FF377, thank God, they closed that loop. Meanwhile, if you're reading on the GIT core uh, editions, you get like maybe the best piece of art in the entire issue, which is a double page spread of Kent Williams X-Men for a Sega Genesis X-Men game. It's very fucking strange because it's literally Kent Williams getting paid shit tons of money to draw his super expressionistic uh, X-Men in his most like I'm ripping off Bill Sienkiewicz type style unless it turns out to actually be Sienkiewicz trying to rip off Kent Williamson but all of which is to say the best art in the issue is a video game ad and it's not part of the story so uh, Murdoch is prepping Johnny for trial and he's like okay listen just relax tell the truth you have nothing to hide like uh, because we've settled with the university I think you're going to be totally okay and um you know, uh, then for whatever weird reason, Bridget O'Neill stops by and is like, I wanted to thank you ever since they released me from the hospital. And he says, no problem, pretty lady. I've been a hard man to get a hold of lately. Glad to see you're doing okay. Elijah, perhaps sensibly, is like, pretty lady? What the fuck? Also, what she should have been thinking was, why the fuck is Matt Murdock putting me up on the defense stand and never bothered to hunt up the woman that fucking Johnny Storm saved in the course of torching Empire State University? Literally saved from dying. Matt Murdock's like, nope, scroll. Gotta cross-examine the scroll. Nothing's gonna be interesting until we see some exciting scroll cleavage up there. So Matt Murdock's there being like, Your Honor, no one disputes the fact that the burning of Empire State University was a great tragedy, but blah, 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 blah. And finally, Payback and Devos are like, Shut up, you are so boring. We've broken through the wall, and we're going to fuck you up. And everyone's like, Oh, my God. Well, it's not such a big deal. We probably, okay, but we can probably beat their asses. But then Claw and Foe Angela come in through the next thing. Claw and some kind of barbarian princess. And they're all there to beat the shit out of the FF, who at this point are like Lyja, Sue, Reed, and Ben, who ironically enough uh, is left on his mask but took off his shirt. So I don't know. Yeah. Luke, priorities. Yeah, exactly. Should I just go into recapping 378 and then we can talk about what's great in these issues, which is great because nothing's great in these issues. <laughs> I was say, what, is, what is great in these issues? Yeah, go into 378 because it's, it's, yeah, there's nothing great in these, these exactly. issues. Exactly. Go, Jeff, go. It's chaos <laughs> in the courtroom and the and it starts with Johnny Storm leaping over and knocking Murdoch out of the way saying, Murdoch, get down! And of course... You know, Matt being like, you moron, I was fine. I was getting ready to push him aside, which is great because the caption is, though blinded as a teenager, Matt Murdock's remaining senses have been enhanced to a superhuman degree. Not really like, you know, his ability to dodge stuff, but just his senses. So I just love the idea that it's like, that caption is, is like, therefore, he really knows that Johnny Storm's being an idiot here. You get a double page spread, which is surprising because it's actually Paul Ryan is penciling and pl and plotting or co-plotting and you get a double page panel but of course it's it's really dull it is the world's dullest fight where Again, the new frightful four yeah everything he does 
he does in the most boring fashion yep. imaginable. Yeah. It's uh, one of the things that I'm always fascinated with is is how much he takes Mr. Fantastic and it's literally as many times as possible uses it's almost like the ultra burn. Like Paul Ryan's like I'm not doing Mr. Fantastic posing in any way that he didn't pose in FF number 1. Because if there's one go-to move that Paul Ryan loves, it's like having Mr. Fantastic, like, kind of bend his torso in twain and then, like, maybe throw a fist out. But, like, the whole torso in twain is, like, really boring and passive looking. Meanwhile, you've got Angela attacking Sue, who's very looking very strangely... Uh, Martha Stewart maternally in that thing. Lyja is fighting like Devos, and since nobody knows how either of their powers work, it appears to be a you know total standstill. Payback slash Pybok, who used to have the powers of all the X-Men, is pretty much just like freezing guy and glowing fist guy. And meanwhile, you've got literally what's great is is that this is the height of drama in that you have four superheroes fighting four villains and on the sideline are three more superheroes in civilian identity so even though it looks like it's a one-on-one -on -one match of high drama wait three more yeah well because johnny's crouching behind a table and he's the human torch you've got Matt oh, of Murdock, who's daredevil and you've got peter parker who's spider-man with his spider sense tingling so i want i want to draw your attention to two other people there though J. Jonah Jameson, Betsy O'Neill. Oh, right. Yes. And, Sandman and Clark Kent. Uh, oh, yeah, I guess that is Clark Kent. Is that Clark Kent? Good call. Yes. And I guess, actually, that's the hair of Civil Silver Sable right next to J. Jonah Jameson. So, yeah. Honestly, this is... this. Is, you've never seen so many people packed to, like, such lack of dramatic effect. So, once again, Ben's getting hit in his soft spot, which is his face... Uh, and which is great because Johnny's like, Ben's taking a terrific pounding on the face, but he's too pig-headed to back off. I'm just like, he's getting punched in the face. Like, who gets a chance to really be like, oh, I'm getting punched in the face. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to hang out and get punched some more. Like, I don't think Johnny's been punched a lot and doesn't know that it, like, hurts and you can't do anything because you're getting punched. Meanwhile, Murdoch's like, you can't join this battle they want to trick you into causing another fi fire to prove you're a menace to society and let's face it if you think about it payback does slash pybok does not know how the justice system works here because every time johnny is about to like risk being prosecuted by the law um pybok more or less shows up and is like hopefully this will make johnny storm do something really super stupid uh, which made sense before, but in this one where Matt Murdock's like, no, you can't, it doesn't make much sense. So meanwhile, what's great is Matt Murdock's like, you can't do anything. Don't do anything. You're just, you cannot join this battle. You're going to get in trouble. And Johnny's like, okay, I'll listen to, huh? Where'd he go? And of course, Matt Murdock's in the next room turning into Daredevil because he's like, <laughs> fuck it. I got to get in on this action. I just love the idea that Daredevil is like totally like... Do as I say, not as I do. I got to kick some ass. <laughs> to, to be fair, that actually works for Daredevil. It is. It is actually the most thematically consistent. Like, that is what Mad Murdock's doing in his own book at around this time. But it is kind of surprising because I don't think DeFalco meant to capture it. So, meanwhile, J. Jonah Jameson is shocked that Spider-Man has shown up. Meanwhile, Silver <laughs> Sable's like, eh, who cares? Only amateurs risk their lives when they have nothing to gain. And Sandman's like... Uh, yeah, I kind of owe it to Ben Grin to, like, help him out. And she's like, oh, okay, I'll help you out. But, you know, 
don't expect a voucher for this operation, which is like, huh, really? What? So, <coughs> um, yeah. Uh, so uh, Lysha's the one who's like, basically, she thinks holding the fight together. Meanwhile, she like, basically, in another scene that, that totally makes no sense dramatically, uh, the way Ryan casts it, Lysha decides to literally blow a hole open in Claw with her laser fist power, and you get a sort of a cute effect of him being like with an enormous cartoon sized hole in front of him being like, I'm made of living sound. It doesn't matter what you do with my body. Now I get to zap you around. Anyway, Sandman jumps into the fray. Spider-Man jumps into the fray. Uh, Johnny saves Bridget O'Neill and like Lysha gets really upset. And I have to say here, I got to jump in. One of the things that really bums me out is they brought back Lysha and have somehow managed to do like this should be an awesome potential romantic triangle but it's just not like it's amazing how disappointing like everyone like i don't think that defalco really when he made created lysha as an explanation for alicia and then sacrificed her ever really planned on bringing her back uh and everyone really dug her and it was kind of great she kind of really the whole like i'm the scroll spy who fell in love with you is just sort of cliche enough and classic enough that people are like oh this is a great doomed romance let's but bring it back she dies. well yeah she like dies bring, bring it back bring yeah. it back does nothing yeah no, it, it absolutely doesn't do anything. And in fact, is frustrating because she's basically doing, I love him, I hate him. Like, basically, I hate him or do I? Now I'm jealous. I can't tell him about our baby or even whether or not we have it. And I'm not going to tell the reader because, frankly, I'm not even really sure that we know kind of thing. <laughs> exactly. What is going on with the baby? I, yeah, sure, baby. Let's just keep saying baby a lot. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it's... It's pretty fucking screwy. Um, so there's a big, big fight scene that in some ways would, considering Daredevil and a bunch of other superheroes are involved, sort of seems like kind of the big days of kind of classic, you know, FF Kirby type stuff. It's, it, it could be getting to FF annual two levels of superhero cameos, except it's utterly super boring. And it ends up with... Uh, <laughs> well, and also... Cameos are like, yes, we've got all the big names. Silver Sable, Sandman. Well, considering like four issues ago, it was like, they, I mean, it's almost like they're picking up in terms of quality because at least they got Spider-Man and Daredevil and Sandman. Whereas before it was like, okay, as if Cold Blue wasn't enough, we've got Code Blue and Silver Sable in the wild pack. Like, at least it's kind of like sort of being upped a little bit. It's kind of like this is the do-over of issue 372, except it's still it's, not it's, very do-over. But it is very much like the do-over. It's very true mm -hmm. that it's essentially the same comic again. And also, we should say by the end of the issue, the Avengers show up as well. Yes, exactly. So in theory, it just kind of should be keeping scaled up and up and up and up and up. So uh, meanwhile, there's a little page where where suddenly Franklin and Sharon Ventura are in the danger room doing the most 90s style, like Sharon is doing that sort of, um, you know, 
gyno gymnastics while like Franklin does, you know, I'm doing psionic making things fly in different directions 101. Like they're just in the danger room, the Baxter building version of the danger room. And she's like, hey, Franklin, as long as we're in another comic book, you got to tell me you're from the future. Does Ben choose me or Alicia Masters? Like you got to tell me because seriously, for like seven straight issues, Ben has been acting like I don't exist and she wants has nothing to do with me. Clearly, that's going to turn around any minute. And he's like, I don't know. The future's not locked on a single course. Anything can happen. Didn't you see the end of Terminator 2? Tom DeFalco did. And that's apparently what he thinks is going on in X-Men. But it's like the future isn't locked onto a single course, right? That's what they say in Terminator 2. And she's like, no, I know what you're saying. I know you're meaning you're saying I actually have to walk out on the streets dejected so that I can actually get ambushed by like Doom's men who are pissed that I actually betrayed him. So, meanwhile, back in the Avengers, everyone's wearing jackets and nobody's shaving. So, everyone has stubble except the Vision and women. Uh, and they decide <laughs> that lives could be in jeopardy. So, you jump into all this fighting, all this yelling, payback yelling at, at, at Lijah, Lijah being upset, Storm flying off with him, being blasted by Claw. Claw, it's 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 like a fight scenes, guys. Remember how fight scenes? More and more people are fighting, and then suddenly, um, foe Angela like slashes a a hole in reality with her uh scythe, which it's not a scythe, it's an axe, but you know whatever. You're blind, mad. I kind of get it. He jumps through after them, and he's like, "Oh my God, my hyper senses are being overwhelmed by a kaleidoscope of shifting shapes and alien sounds. I can't get my bearings. I don't even know what's up or down. I, I am truly blind." And part of me is like, "Are you surprised, Matt? Really?" Anyway, he gets captured by Spidey's web, <laughs> who yanks him out of the reality just in time. The Avengers showed up for absolutely no reason whatsoever, I guess, other than scare off the frightful four and. Uh, in a dramatic twist of events, Ben walks off being like, what happened to the good old FF I knew and loved? We used to be the world's greatest fighting team. I'm like, hmm, is that supposed to be code for comics magazine? Like, when did anyone ever think that they were the world's greatest fighting team? He's like, we they, sure they, yeah. the address, never. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, I'm like, we've been reading this a long time. I don't remember anyone being like, you know, you guys are the world's greatest fighting team. Anyway, someone calls to him from the alley. He's like, uh, uh, Sherry, is that you, babe? Something's happened to me, Ben. Something awful. And guess what? She's been turned into kind of a creepy monster chick who unsurprisingly sort of looks like, um, well, she, she doesn't look like the thing. So we'll give her, I guess we give her credit for that, but she looks pretty, um, uh, it's, it's basically just kind of a surprise that we get this sort of return to Sharon is now a monster and is completely fucked up about it. In a way, I suppose it makes sense because everyone ignored that part where she was actually relieved to be freed from the, uh, you know, being the potential victim of sexual violence against men and the male gaze. Here, she's just basically a big creepy well, monster and is upset. Sure. In defense of her response here. Yeah. Who can forget the issue where she was so upset at being a thing that she wanted to kill herself for an entire issue? Well, that's true. So, you know, there is prior here that she would completely lose her shit when getting turned into a monster. I'm going to speed through issue 379 because, oh my god, there are still three issues to go. <laughs> the short version is the FF are trying to fix Sharon. Sharon is understandably going, 
well, this is bullshit yeah. because it's never like you've never fixed Ben. Why do you think you're going to fix me? Reed, who was actually stabbed by Huntara in the previous issue, is stretching and then collapses because he is in such pain. And Sue is very protective of him. And Sue does not say, oh, that's right. Now both of us have the same plot or we can't use our powers properly. Oh, no. As no one is thinking this is happening, Sharon gets very upset, breaks free and goes off to be glum. Dr. Doom, meanwhile, in Liberia is spends like two issues going yeah there's energy there's energy coming to earth i'm, I'm gonna take care of it L- just let it interrupt my dinner meanwhile a game of pool between franklin and johnny storm what yeah. is interrupted when franklin steals something from johnny's brain and it causes him pain franklin has stolen that the person who attacked the team in the courtroom was Huntara, who he knows she's obviously followed me to this time continuum to stop me from. And then he gets interrupted because, of course, he does. Yeah. Tom Falco has no idea what Huntara is there to stop Franklin from. Not in the slightest. He has no fucking clue. Meanwhile, <laughs> on Pipok and Davos's spaceship, the new Frightful Four have shown up, and there is a hilarious passive-aggressive exchange between Claw and Pipok. I love that one Claw. so much. I'm impressed, Pipok. I had no idea that scroll technology had achieved such heights. You flatter me, Claw, says Pipok, and Claw thinks, it is, cru- it is a child's toy compared to what I saw in Galactus' ship. And Pipok thinks, as if I cared what an ignorant savage such as you thought. <laughs> I love that. Again, this is a page that serves no purpose other than amusing us with that exchange. Yes. Again, nothing happens in these pages. Although, if you don't mind, I do have to say, although it's understated, there's an exchange between Devos and uh, Devos and Huntera where he's like, you acquitted yourself in our recent battle with the FF like a true warrior born Huntera. Are there many of such skill on your homeworld? And she's like, I, many are mighty or brave are the people of Elswin. Why do you ask Davos? And he's like, just curious. And interestingly enough, DeFalco doesn't have time to actually hang a lampshade on it. Davos is all about destroying anyone who's capable of committing war. And Huntera has just more or less given up the game that she comes from a warrior planet. And so Davos is putting old the the gentle people of elsewhere are now on his cosmic shit list yeah that would be important if devos ever appeared again outside of his cult yeah that's true anyway, yep yep there is there is any two-page interlude in which johnny sarm flying around feeling sorry for himself sees bridget o'neill and goes down to flirt with her and then flies off as soon as she flirts back only for it to turn out that it was actually Elijah who was like, you cheating bastards. Which is, I, I, again, two pages of what? But also super weird. That yep. Elijah's like, everything's going on. Why do I go away? And then disguise myself as Bridget O'Neill in case Johnny happens to run across me. Yeah, yeah. So, like, it's... it's uh... Ben catches up with Sharon. She's a monster. They fight... The fight goes on actually for for a few pages, for like four or five pages. Yeah, Reeds gets out of bed because even though he is in pain, he's got to help. And Sue is like, "Oh my God, I love him. Even though I'm currently evil, bitch, Sue, I do love him anyway. Look how selfless he is." Yeah. Uh, Sharon goes to the subway station in the middle of the fight. Ben realizes that she is trying to commit suicide by touching the third rail. They wrestle, and Sharon 
does exactly what she wants and dies. Except she doesn't. Yeah. Ben runs away. He is distraught. He is traumatized. He runs away as the rest of Fantastic Four arrive. They realize she's still alive. Ben is too far gone at this point and instead jumps on top of the pogo plane because he's blaming Doctor Doom and he's going to go and make Doctor Doom pay as he is in flight Doctor Doom realizes that he is coming thinks it is the entire Fantastic Four which I love yes and destroys the pogo plane yeah to be continued I do love the Doom's like oh yeah okay the plan totally worked so now all the Fantastic Four are coming right so I can destroy the plane and kill all of them yes like he never thought it would just be the thing. I, yeah, I do really like that. Yeah, that is actually very fun. So, uh, yeah, um, there's other stuff like what amazing the the whole thing with like Bridget O'Neill that's uh, slash Lija, which is crazy, is the whole reason that she believes that Johnny is a two timing snake, despite the fact that he's at no point said anything about him trying to be with her, and every time he's even made a even a tender comment to Elijah. She's basically all but tried to cut him off at the knees. Is... Oh, no, but also she like when Bridget flirts with Johnny, he leaves. Yes. Well, see, that's the thing that's crazy. She's like, but the whole thing that she's like, pretty lady, when really that is the exact playback of what happened in an early, either earlier in the issue or the issue before where Bridget O'Neill shows up and gets called pretty lady in passing by Johnny and she has the same thought. Like, he's literally done nothing different than what he did exactly in front of her when she was in front of him. And so the whole idea that she disguises herself and then is like, that jerk! Like, apparently on the Scroll Planet, Pretty Lady is like an automatic sign of, you are my alternate mate, you know. As opposed to just a cheesy, cheesy line. Yeah, exactly. Which probably makes sense in a way. I don't know. Like, again, I'm like, Elijah, you were, Alicia, you were married to this dude. Like, but again, it's that idea of like, there's no no way. But here's here's the thing. When she was Alicia and Johnny was married to her, you know that Johnny calls her pretty lady all the time. Right. So you could almost see that she's like, wait, but that's what he called me. Right. Wait. Well, like this is bullshit. Nah. She also. They also called so much other stuff, and they were knocking boots no, no, all over no. the place. You no, know. I I agree, but like I can I can almost see it. I I still think her disguising herself as Bridget and wandering around New York City on the off chance that she runs into Johnny. <laughs> yeah, that is, is pretty great. Is nuts. Yeah. Is genuinely nuts. But again, there's nothing organic about these stories. Yeah. Of course, she disguised herself as as. Bridget, because of course she was going to run into Johnny, because that's the entire point of that scene. Yep. The end. It has there's there's nothing mm-hmm. vaguely organic about any of this. Yep. Yeah, these aren't good comics, Jeff. No. Like I'm wait, I'm still waiting for you to explain why you think you're good. Should we, should we get through three seven three eighty? Yeah, yes. Yeah, let's can, go for three eighty and three eighty one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I think I, I know yes. I know three eighty one is when you're going to get pretty excited. Three eighty uh, on the cover, the uh, world greatest comic magazine is replaced with "It's the beginning of the end for the Fantastic Four. Comes the hunger begins with the Doombots dragging mm-hmm. Ben out of the, the swamps of Latveria where he has crash landed. There is a hilarious scene on page two where Doom's soldiers are going, why is he wearing his mask? This is fucking weird. What's he trying to hide? And there's no self-awareness, I guess. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. But like Defalco's self awareness, because he actually brings it up later in the issue. But they they pull the ma- uh, mask off Ben. And they're like, oh, it's disgusting. Oh no, fuck what? No, uh, uh, gross. Um, hooray, hooray for all of that is yes. all I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, cuts to Doctor Doom, who spends an, another entire page talking to scientists, which is a recurring theme every time we have Doctor Doom yep. subplot here. He is talking to a scientist because in DeFalco and Ryan's mind, that's what Doom does. Mm-hmm. It, when he is not actually actively acting against the Fantastic Four, he's talking to scientists about a future plan. Yep. Cut back to Reed and Johnny and Sue putting Sharon in suspended animation. I'm not sure if she ever wakes up. Like, yeah. I'm sure she must, but yeah. I can't think of a sort where she wakes up, and I love the idea that Sharon is still in suspended oh, animation. Oh, man, that would be the most amazing thing ever. Boy, I got to tell you. So, uh, yeah. But, but the entire point of the scene is that both Reed and Sue have power failures on the same page yep. to underscore the fact that they both have exactly the same plot happening at the same time. <laughs> As they're both almost passing out in front of Johnny, and he's like, oh, they don't look so good. On the very next page, Lijah passes out because yep. of her pregnancy. Yeah, Everyone is fainting in For Freedom's Plaza. Cuts back to Latveria, where more weird-ass power is approaching Latveria. The scientists are like, oh, I guess it's coming. Meanwhile, Ben wakes up. Doctor Doom is doing his wonderful hosting again. He has an amazing feast uh, planned by the servants who are in ye oldie timey wear and <laughs> chopping up. I mean, there's like a turkey or maybe a chicken and then a brown blob. Yeah. Got a brown blob. I, I, I don't know what that is. I think, are you talking about, I think it's supposed to be a pig that they sort of miscolored badly, right? Yeah, it's it's a big brown blob. They're chopping a brown blob, but that's okay, because they're going to serve it to Ben. Ben gets zapped, uh, realizing that the the gauntlets that he is now wearing, or really wristbands he's now wearing, are going to electrocute him every time he gets close to Doctor Doom. And the closer he gets, it will be a stronger charge. Meanwhile, the energy has arrived in Latveria. It attacks a soldier and turns him into, that's right, a zombie. Yep. Because that's what this comic needed. An alien zombie in Latveria coming to get Doctor Doom while Doctor Doom tortures the thing until he pulls the mask of the thing and realizes that all of the rocks are falling off the thing's face and he's turned into pink jello face man. Yep. Doctor Doom, in a moment of almost self-awareness goes oh you're ugly under your mask i'm ugly under the mask too what if i solve your ugliness because i can totally do that i mean i could maybe do it for myself as well but i'm not going to it's my entire gimmick why would i solve my own face that would, that would be no look i'm going exactly. to do it for you though so yep. did you see what i did for sharon it that worked out great let's do it mm-hmm. jo- uh, ben unsurprisingly goes no right i did see what happened with sharon that's a no yep this this exciting exchange would continue if it were not for the fact that the alien zombie soldier then attacks the castle and attacks Doctor Doom and gives Ben the chance to escape while in the scene where Ben pulls himself free, mm-hmm. Jeff, I have to ask, does it not look like Ben's head is actually falling apart? Uh, Yeah, it kind of does, where doesn't where it? it shouts, mm-hmm. It's clobbering time. It yeah. looks like like that's Ben's brains. Yeah, it's clearly not. Yeah. That would be utterly gross. But he is, frees himself, puts his mask back on. Nobody wants to look at that face anymore, and helps Doom 
by electrocuting the zombie. Who knows? Who knows what's happening? As this is going on, the FF are heading towards Latveria just in time to see Doctor Doom's castle explodes. Yep. From the looks of that blast, there won't be any survivors. Says some unnamed, probably Johnny person on the Quinjet. Why are they flying a Quinjet? Who knows? Oh, like, because he stole they... the Pogo plane. Because he stole their. But they have no other plane. I don't know, man. man. Uh... What happened to Fantastic Car? Anyway. The castle that blows up, the end of the issue. Before you get into the next one and talking about how much you hate it, I have to say, Everyone's Fainting in Four Freedoms Plaza is the name of a John Byrne story. That is completely and totally what John Byrne thinks a good FF story name is called. So you said it earlier in your recap, and I didn't have time because I didn't want to break up your flow. But before we go into 381, I just want to say, if anyone wants to write a John Byrne pastiche, you have your title. So enjoy. I'm going to get through 381 super quickly because this is the big finale. I think this is the thing that makes you think, oh, these aren't the worst comics ever. (laughs) And then there were three. Gives the game away. Also, so does the cover. Yep. Which has four no more on it. Yes. Subtle. Uh, and then there were three. Begins with uh, lots of explosions as the Fantastic Four and Elijah, sorry, Fantastic Four minus Ben and Elijah and uh, Franklin in mm-hmm. his power armor attack the castle. They are fought by Doom bots who don't appear to have noticed that meanwhile Doctor Doom was being attacked by like zombie alien. Yeah, but exactly. Whatever. Uh, they fight back to the Fantastic Four. They are defeated by the Fantastic Four. The Fantastic Four go and they find Ben. They find Doctor Doom, who it would never allow Reed Richards to help him stand up. He can stand up by himself. Meanwhile, this the power that turned the soldier into the zombie is now floating around and decides it's time that he should make his own body and turn into generic like bat demon. Oh dude my god! I gotta tell you, I was again. It's like. Talk about the idea of doing the FF's greatest hits when it's not even the greatest hits. I'm like, oh my god, they basically went and are like, oh yeah, let's draw something like that looks like from the Rich Buckler era, you know? Like, this is totally like, oh god, Darkoth, you know? This is like the Narkoth, Darkoth, the Demolisher. Uh, <laughs> Did you say Narkoth, Darkoth? <laughs> Darkoth, Darkoth, Darkoth. No, I was trying to remember no. his name, but you know who I'm talking about? Yeah, no, Darkoth. Yeah. Death. No, Darkoth. He has got Darkoth, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I just like Nar- Narkoth Darkoth. <laughs> Narkoth Darkoth. No, no, no. That was just me mumbling. Anyway, so yes, he turns into like really generic, like this looks like that guy, like a reject from like the D&D it, Monster Manual. So. I was going to say, this, this is how generic it looks. It looks like a reject from the Defenders when J.M. DeMatteis was writing it. Oh, yeah, that is absolutely I, I hope true. everyone understands yeah. that, how, how lazy that looks. This, this is supposed he, to be he, sexy gargoyle. Yeah. Yeah, he, he's... T- he, anyway, Demon Dude is wandering around Latveria. The Fantastic Four are helping Doom fight him. He fights like Demon Dude can shoot a flame out of his eyes. Yeah. God knows how. There's a big fat battle in Latveria and... Uh, Doom's like we should team up even though like why would we team up I am Doom but really I'm getting my ass kicked let's team up in a wonderful absolutely gratuitous two panel sequence while Reed and Doom are talking about this Sue goes 
Mm, Reed and Doom are very different, but very similar. Still, if you think about it, Latveria does show what it would be, how great it would be to rule a country. Any man could do it, or woman, and looks into the mirror, and it's malice. Yes. Yep. It's wow. What? What is even happening? I'll tell you what's happening. Elijah, the laser fist, turns into an inexplicable feather bird woman. Yeah. For why? Because she could fly anyway. Why does she turn into a feather bird woman? Just just because, long story short, everyone teams up to do it. Doom almost dies in doing it, but they beat him. As he is lying dying, he says to Reed, like, there's one last thing I need your help with. And Reed's like, whatever, I am good, sure, I will help you. And in genuinely a great last page cliffhanger he goes yeah the one thing i need to do is i actually need to kill you and he kills both of them yeah he blows them both up yeah and that is that is the last page of the comic yeah which is honestly we've done 11 issues of shit and it is almost worth it yep for the for doom going there's just one last thing i need to do before i die i understand i'm going to die and that last thing is i have to kill you yes and actually you know that Great. Yeah, that is a great moment. And honestly, in in a bit of storytelling savviness that the 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 rest of these issues totally lack, the issue I realize opens with Reed offering to help Doom. He says, "Here, Doom, give me your hand. Are you mad, Richards? Doom needs no aid from you or any man." So there's basically the setup here that Doom is totally like, yeah. you know. Don't don't believe him when he's doing it, but it really does say something very basic about Reed's nature that Reed's always going to offer his hand. But yeah, the idea that that Doom is basically like, yeah, I'm dying and I got to take you out, even though I look like a uh, like a Muppet, is kind of great. <laughs> so, and but it is it's after eleven issues of shit. Yeah, well, there is this this moment of greatness, yeah. and it genuinely is great. It's such a great last page reveal. Yep, because the alternate reading of of uh, Doom reaching out for Reed is that Doom has been humbled. Yeah, which long term readers know that is not the case, but it's a nice twist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That you do think for a second, oh wait, has he learned his lesson? And it's he's very much just the opposite. Yeah. No, and it is. It's one of those yeah. things that's pretty great because you almost see it as that moment that might happen, but also ultimately doesn't. You know, DeFalco very much doubles down on it. And in that sense, because honestly, DeFalco, perhaps unsurprisingly, is relatively okay at Doom. He's not, it's not my world's favorite Doom. Like, this is the best moment of it. But there's lots of other great shots. The whole scene where, like, Doom has all has all this dessert that he basically eats right in front of Ben and then, you know, is kind of like package this up and send it to some poor innocent in my village. And then, you know, there's another great moment in there where it's like sort of like um, he's like, yes, you know, he's basically talking to the thing. He's like, I've been deeply misunderstood by everyone and misrepresented. You know, I just do what's best for my people because I love my people. And someone comes in and is like, Master, I have bad news. And he's like, shut up, you Muppet. I'll kill you. I'll kill you. You know, it's just, it's all, it's it's unsubtle doom. And of course, unsubtle doom is is kind of a delight. It's, it's the best. Yeah, yes. exactly. It's, it's, it's the best doom. The best doom is the one who has no self-awareness. Yeah. But 
is is that is you know completely over the top and it you know would take one bite of a meal and be like this is no good but give it to some poor orphan but make sure they know it comes from me yeah exactly like it, it, it may, like make sure they know I, it's me mm-hmm. that i they'll like it even more because i've tried to eat it like yes. that, that make like that's actually that, a brilliant touch important. yeah exactly that is a brilliant touch yeah one last bit of great doomness before i really do rush us towards the end yep. is in 381 there was a great scene where father is talking to his son yes and saying, you're not smiling and we have to smile a lot here yeah if you don't smile we're gonna get in trouble yep yep i love that scene yeah that scene is really wonderful is it 381 oh it is 381 right yeah Smile, boy, smile, which is really funny because I think you actually see him later in the issue as part of the crowd fleeing and carrying his son, freaking out. So, so yeah, it t- tell me why these comics are good, Jeff. Okay. Before you said that, like, no, there was no, no, something no. to these comics, and I really, like, we've spent a long period talking about why these comics are not good. Well, so, so tell me why sure. I'm wrong. Well, I'm not saying that you're wrong, but I do think that you yourself, as you pointed out, the first time through and even the second time through, you were kind of like, okay, they're not great, but they, they move, right? And then the third time, you're like, these are garbage. <laughs> and so the thing is, it's like, for the most part, they're, they're, they're pretty trashy comics. But kind of like the joke, you know, like, you know that joke about, like, the, the two people who are eating at the restaurant, you know, and it's like, it's like, the food is so terrible here. And the other person's like, I know, in such small portions, you know, which is the, the whole joke. But, you know, is is like one thing that I can say about the run from 371 through 381 is it's terrible, but the portions are huge. So, I mean, there's really a lot here. They do not necessarily skimp. Now, admittedly, they don't do things well. It, there's all subplot. There's the problems with, with Ryan's pacing. There's the fact that DeFalco at certain points, I believe, is genuinely cutting against Ryan's plots. Um, there is the strange, again, <clears throat> crazy nature of trying to do an FF comic while changing everything about the FF, doing this weird cover band thing of shouting out very specifically to other eras. The folding in of the X-Men stuff, that weird auteurist message that I had crammed in there, plus the nice little twist, not only does Doom turn around like a, a fucker and like take out Reed, not only has it been building, like you literally have Doctor Strange pulling the death card back in 374, like seven full issues before it happens. Not only do you have like Reed Richards like making speeches against the foe FF where he's talking about the ridiculousness of killing off a main hero and then he's going to like literally die. The fact that on that page where Malice is like Sue's looking at Sue and seeing Malice and you're like, what the fuck's going on there is totally covering up. Not very well, mind you, the fact that there's these matter transmitter things that are all over the place where doom literally ends up seeming to die. And you it like, they show you the trick before there's definitely the thing of like the, the whole death of Reed. It's been building for a while. All of the breaking of the FF is being done in these very specific ways. And I and I will say there is an idea of where they leave the FF is kind of a new, like a quote unquote new status quo that has had like some of the um, traditional safety net of the FF like 
definitely, you know, removed. And again, interestingly enough, one of the things that is part of that safety net, weirdly, is Sue's force shield, you know. So I don't know if you remember, but like, remember that one issue where like it's way back in the Stan and Jack era, like very early on and more or less like. Reed gets tired of everyone else complaining about him, his leadership, and he's like, okay, you knuckleheads, you go and lead. And the three of them literally can barely, you know, fly the fantastic car, like, over yeah, yeah. in Latveria by themselves. You know, that was, like, too harsh a way of, of putting it, you know. But it really, at that point, it was the idea that Reed, of course, was the alpha male and the only competent one. There is an awareness that whenever Reed is on the book... And Englehart was aware of this, which is why he took out Reed and Sue. As long as Reed is there, the book, there's there's a, a certain lack of genuine threat that's always going to be there. What I find fascinating is DeFalco, by being aware of the X-Men and things that they think the X-Men need, which again seems to be lots of female characters with superpowers, you know, uh, not getting the idea that they're actually supposed to be self-sufficient characters with their own stories, you know, and also the idea of like, you've got to have weird omniscient, you know, characters from the future. I mean, weirdly, the thing is, is that the idea that that Franklin has come back like as a teenager to essentially, you know, help his mother through his father's death and to see the death of his father is is something that they could have set up as an immediate short-term, oh, this makes sense. But the idea that Franklin's just there in like generic Cableville, you know, is kind of, is, is again, a sign of how poorly DeFalco and Ryan are doing what they're trying to do. But I, on the other hand, really appreciate a certain degree of the ambition for it and the way that they're trying to create change and and the fact that every issue like you said even the issues that are all subplot part of why that's happening is there's three or four subplots going on at every time it's not just that sue is turned into like evil crazy bitch woman it's that she's the evil crazy bitch woman that is more or less demanded that the attorneys do anything to get johnny freed and therefore end up like fucking up their whole situation you know it's not just the fact that like lija's like in love with johnny and also hates him at the same time there's some other weird thing going on with her baby like Everyone's pretty much got multiple multiple subplots going on at once, except for Reed, who really, because he ends up being, even with his broken powers at a certain point, is the most well-adjusted member of the team, and that's the member that they decide to cut. It's I'm like, okay, like, this is a very different FF. It's interesting that it's enough conventionally like the... It's no Englehart reinvention, you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. you you know, you've got a thing, admittedly, he's like the grim and gritty thing, but you don't have, like, a she thing. She's definitely taken off the board beforehand. You know, you've got Victoria's Secret Sue, who's, like, just a real weird mess, and you've got Johnny, who's got, like, a super-powered ex-wife who's got all kinds of crazy secrets. Like, I'm like, there's... It, 
DeFalco and Ryan have sort of reinvented it with a with with a bunch of motivators that can generate stories for a time to come. Now, I totally get it. They're not going to be doing a good job of it at all. But I, I again, I just admire the sheer moxie of DeFalco being like, I'm going to make this fucking book sell, goddammit. And uh, and it seems like it's more or less happening. I, I'm, I find myself, like, I see what you're saying. Mm-hmm. But for me, I, I, I get hung up on the... It feels more like it's being plotted by a hyperactive child mm-hmm. because like all these things are happening mm-hmm. and sure there's all there's always something happening but we've already seen that none of these things come to anything uh, like characters will change characterization yes well I, I think that I think there's a good case to be made for the fact that it is just hyperactive nonsense but on a first read-through as it's the first read-through for me and you don't know where it's going you're kind of like it's it's almost like a TV channel, or sadly, almost like the poor network connection message that I keep getting on Skype uh, every time we're you know throughout this entire call. Uh, you keep hoping if you just stick with it, it's going to get a little bit better and it's going to coalesce into something. You know? Yeah, maybe maybe that's maybe that's the thing for me where I'm just like I, I've you know I've <laughs> we've seen enough badness to know that it's not going to come to anything. You right. know? Mm-hmm. That, that that I don't have I don't have the faith and therefore for me it is just it's just really excitable nonsense and and that's not enough for me to give it the credit that maybe it deserves. No, I don't think I don't think that it does because there's a little bit of and this is a problem that the X Men themselves fell into, and I would also posit like later Marvel writers like dudes like Brian Bendis, as long as every story serves no linchpin. F- it serves no purpose than than essentially being the linchpin to launch the next bigger story that is going to be even more reality breaking with other crazy consequences and the only crazy consequence is it opens up another thing for the next new groundbreaking story when it's just event 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 and it's inorganic like your choices are kind of either you appreciate either how much of an appreciation you have via like nostalgia or for the batshit insanity because you can't really connect to it in a, at, at an organic story level anymore. You know what I mean? Like and you kind of can if you think that it's going to pay off in a, you know, future. But let's face it, Graham, you're basically the Franklin Richards of Baxter building podcast you've known the whole time what was going to happen but you still came back and went through it all again anyway so I'm here to help you through it Jeff yes apparently I'm you here are. to help you through it <laughs> I'm also going to tell you that uh, next time we're going to be doing 382 through 388 382 to 388 thank god that's not going to go for into a four-hour podcast I hope no that's that's this one yeah, I'm, I'm so excited to edit this tomorrow. He utterly lied. <laughs> so sorry, Graham. I know you must hate me. No, no, I totally no. get it's, it. It's our, it's our own fault for doing 11 issues. That was that was dumb. Yeah. Well, no, because you were like, there's not going to be anything to discuss. And I'm like, did I tell you about my meta contacts? You're like, fuck. You should have known. Also meta contacts. I know, yeah, Graham. All, like, I should have. <laughs> Um, yeah, 382 to 388, we get to see the immediate aftermath of Reed and and Doom's uh, death, question mark? Well, because obviously they come back. We've seen Reed since then. Yes, right. We do know. 
Graham, we got to close this sucker down because I have to say, you keep dropping out. I'm a little worried. Yes, me too. <laughs> <laughs> we are going to have show notes for this up on Monday at waitwhatpodcast.com. There is also waitwhatpods.tumblr.com. There is an Instagram, instagram.com forward slash waitwhatpod. And there is a Twitter account at waitwhatpodcast. We also have Jeff Lester's solo Twitter at lazybastid at L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-T-I-D. And I am on Twitter solo at Graham M, at G-R-A-E-M-E-M. And Baxter Building exists thanks to the kindness of, I'd say strangers, but we actually know who a lot of you are. Jeff, tell people about Patreon. Yeah, Patreon's amazing. It's a, it's a place where people who appreciate all the uh, totally for free, quote-unquote, entertainment that we provide to you can like throw us a little bit of, uh, as one listener recently put it, the filthy lucre. Um, to help continue to make this possible, keep us inspired and motivated. We uh, are super grateful to them, including the kind crew at America Ninth Art Studios, as well as Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy, uh, to whom we're especially grateful for their continuing support of this podcast, as well as keeping our future as uh, Devos the Destroyer free as possible, which we appreciate. And we should also say that we are grateful to all of our listeners, the fact that you tune in and listen to us thrash out comics as terrible as these is, uh, is a genuinely um, merciful and compassionate act. Graham? For everyone who is stuck with us this entire episode, God bless you. You you have patience more than we have patience. <laughs> I, I I don't think that Jeff would still be listening if he was listening to this podcast. Jeff, it's a Baxter building. Do you want to sing us out? Oh, yeah. I definitely would. Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. We'll see you next time in the lobby of the Baxter building.